0: Hey, I'm Brian Hyatt, and this is Rolling Stone Music Now. I have in the studio with me, From Spoon, Britt Daniel, Jim Eno, and Alex Fischel. Welcome, guys. Good to see you guys. How's it going? It's going pretty good. We're recording this on a Monday morning. We're all pretty awake, some of us more than others, I think, it's depending <laughs> on our
1: caffeine. intake. Alex Jack- is amped. <laughs> That's good. I don't usually drink coffee. But I did today.
2: You don't drink it at all? I don't really anymore, I guess no. I didn't really notice that about you. Yeah,
1: and this is like some high octane shit. Right. Did you have food? Because you're going to no. crash. We need to get some food in here. Yeah, soon.
0: All right. For the sake of the listener, I introduced you, but maybe introduce yourselves <laughs> so we know who's who and what you do. I'm Britt
3: Daniel. Hi, I'm Jim Eno. I'm Alex Fischel.
0: And this occasion is the release of Everything Hits at Once, The Best of Spoon, which includes one excellent new song called No Bullets Spent. I think it does what a Greatest Hits should do is you listen to this and you're like you know man spooner good band like in case you forget for any moment it's a powerful case for this band and Britt i think you were saying listening back to this stuff you kind of came away thinking the same thing like it kind of reminded you of some of the corners of of what you do and the power of it
2: well i kind of had this feeling that if we put together a, a compilation of our whatever 10 15 best songs it would be undeniable and i think it is you know it's hard to argue with the quality of this record
0: You did some interesting things with the sequencing of it in that it's totally the opposite of chronological. And it does flow. It works as a record, which I'm sure was the purpose. But once you tore up the idea of chronology, what was the thought process behind the sequencing?
2: Well, it really was just that flow. And the hardest thing was figuring out the first song. And that took the longest bit then for a long time it was going to be do you was the first song and uh, at the last minute we threw i turn my camera on to be the first one but it was just picking that first song and then from there what goes good after that what goes good after that eh, when that seemed to go well and then we'd correct that one and then go back a different path and so it was just not too different from how we sequence our records we put a lot of thought into it and we tried it a bunch of different ways
0: and how did you end up with i turn my camera on we should hear that for one second
2: I turned my feelings off. You
0: made me untouchable for life. Yeah.
2: yeah. I guess in the end, I I just started thinking about what is a hit, you know. And we had to think about that a little bit for this compilation. We have some songs that did well on certain types of radio. And so we knew those would go on there. But, you know, we knew Inside Out and The Underdog and I Turn My Camera On and Do You would be on there. I guess I started thinking about, to me, a single, you know, like it seemed to me like I Turn My Camera On was the most sort of immediate single that we put out. It's stripped down, it's minimal, it's rhythmic, it's got falsetto. And right. it's just like, to me, that's some of the best ingredients of the best Prince singles, right?
0: Right. It was definitely your Prince moment, for yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
2: So I guess that's really why we settled on that being first. Then we threw it first, and it felt good.
0: I think you said uh, New Order and The Cure were two greatest hits albums. Right. That meant a lot to you. Yeah, Standing
2: a- on a Beach and then Substance were there others yeah i mean the supreme's greatest hits was how i found out about the supremes al green's greatest hits what about you yeah, guys what about Jen? yeah your water revival yeah uh, that's, that's a was, good one that's Her funny that's
0: hits. the one probably the ultimate band greatest hits and the ultimate one that is it's almost hard to break away from because it's so, it, good. It's <clears throat> so good as great as some of their albums are it's kind of better than any of their albums, so that's a tricky one
2: yeah Lou- louder
3: track. than bombs was one for me oh yeah the smith's one yeah listen to that a lot but that was the first thing i had from them
0: did this prompt any other degree of self-evaluation it is a weird thing to take it doesn't mean you know you're recording a new album now but it is sort of a midpoint at least in a career to be able to look back and be like well this is the best of what we've done did it prompt some kind of self-evaluation about just what I you've done and where you are in the whole thing
2: probably i mean i guess you're <laughs> right that it is the first time we've done anything that's in any way looked back we've never done any kind of compilation we've never done one of those tours where you do the album the whole way through or whatever we've always just been been thinking about what's the next record to make and yeah and that's kind of still really where we're at we're in the halfway through making a record right now but i guess last summer i thought we're gonna have an off year in 2019 <laughs> and uh how hard could it be to put out a greatest hits it will be easy it'd just be this thing that we put out there keeps <clears> things going during our downtime right but it turns out it's a, it's a little more work we mm. put it we wanted to have a new song on there just doing all the artwork And the press reaction has been pretty crazy. Like, everybody wants to talk about it. So we've done as much press, I think, for this record as we have any normal record. I didn't expect that. And then we ended up getting on this seven-week tour, so. (laughs) Right. We're on a tour with Beck and Cage the Elephant, which is a pretty big deal, and so it's not an off year.
0: Maybe you should release the greatest hits record every year. Yeah, maybe so. Things
2: seem to happen.
3: Next year will be our off year. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Jim, what were your thoughts, like, about where you are and looking back that have been prompted by all this? And even prompted by repeatedly talking about the past, which is another thing you guys don't always do.
3: Right. I mean, it was really difficult to get the songs down to fit only one record, you know? Yeah. I mean, that was pretty hard so that was cool because then it's like man this could be a lot like brit has said before like a three disc thing you know
2: my first list was yeah three discs long and it had rarities and b-sides and that was what i came to after listening to each record all the way through each record each b-side and all that stuff and i liked that idea a lot but then we figured out that that's really not what standing on a beach was that's not what substance was those were compact Volumes that, although if you bought the cassette of standing on a beach you got all the b-sides on the second side or whatever but basically it was a <laughs> compact version of the record that introduced the cure to a lot of people that had never heard them including me i hadn't heard a note of the cure when i bought that record in dallas in the summer of 86 or whatever it was <laughs> i stayed with my dad in dallas i was very lonely So I just listened to The Cure all summer, you know, and I got obsessed with them. And from there, I went back and bought all the Cure records. Then we started realizing that's the kind of greatest hits record we want to do. And so that's not a three disc set and it's not rarity. So then we had to cut it down to... 12 songs, which was not easy.
0: Yeah. A thing that's pretty audacious is there's a ton of new stuff from the last couple records on this album. It blew right by me at first. It just kind of works. But they are among your best songs. At the same time, it's a little bit of a statement, right? To kind of lean that heavily.
2: Yeah. I mean, but there's one song from the last record. Right. There's three songs from the record before. Right. I guess it was just that when we started thinking about what is a hit, what are the best songs, the most immediate songs that will introduce that kid and who's lonely in Dallas for the summer? <laughs> staying with his dad knowing no one in dallas that guy who <laughs> what songs will he like so it just seemed like the three songs from they want my soul seemed to fit that it also has three songs from Gaga. Ga, ga right am i making that up i think it does i think so i think
0: that's right cherry bomb don't you have a maybe under- underdog that's yeah, three okay, yeah
2: and then a few from gimme fiction so anyway yeah but there aren't songs from the first two records
0: right not because they were not the best per se but they weren't very successful
2: They weren't successful, and you're right, and um, I don't know, it was hard to fit them in with the majority of the rest of the songs, you know, it just didn't fit, and so when we do that other kind of compilation, they'll they'll be on there, but not for this one, you know, it wasn't for this record.
0: Alex, as a, a recent addition to the band, that also means you have a ton of stuff on this record. It's true. Surprisingly. Yeah. What's your take on listening back to, I mean, obviously you've had to learn the catalog in great depth, but what was your take just listening to this record and taking in the kind of breadth of achievement it shows? I
1: thought it was good. I made my own version too, uh-huh. that had some older songs on it that you know maybe didn't like Britt said wouldn't have fit with the ones that ended well, up on the final cut. What older cut. songs did you have? I had Metal Detector on there. Metal detector as I'm walking through the door. I had Anything Vittorio E. Yeah, I love Vittorio. But yeah, the 45 minute cut was was really tough to deal with. I kept going just like three minutes over, two minutes over.
2: Mm-hmm. So that's not going to work. <laughs> well, then you edit the songs. Well, that's another step. That's
0: half. a whole, <laughs> whole other step. Right. I mean, one thing about not including the stuff from the first couple albums is you also had quite an evolution. There was a moment when Spoon kind of reinvented itself. Right. And you linked it to a bunch of things. Part of it, I think, was listening to Get Happy by Elvis Costello. Uh-huh, right. Yeah. How did that work?
2: And that's kind of what I was trying to say on my last point. I don't think I made it very well. That stylistically, the band changed quite a bit going between album two and album three. And album three was sort of became the I don't want to say blueprint, but it, it, it we jumping we, off point yeah, as far as like yeah, we do. We things changed a lot before that. We didn't think anything was cooler than Wire, and we didn't really want to move beyond that, you know. Uh, but yeah, but then yeah, you're right. The summer that series of sneaks came out, my girlfriend Eleanor had this tape of Get Happy by Elvis Costello and I'd never heard that record and I started making all these connections between New Wave and Motown and the oldies radio station which I happen to always be listening to in Austin it was kind of the only station I wanted to listen to for some reason and all those things kind of combined into this new sound that uh, Girls Can Tell became.
0: And part of it was realizing like no, it doesn't have to be wire, it doesn't have to be this stripped down yeah. bass guitar drums thing. There's all these right. other instruments we could do this and we don't have to be ashamed of liking classic rock. We don't have to exactly. be ashamed of liking Prince and the it, bee gees or whatever. Right.
2: We were even anti-reverb before wow. that album. You know? I right. do remember when we when we were working on a, a series of sneaks, how hardcore we were with John Cross and the mixer about yeah, reverb yeah. And, and we would catch him, you know. Yeah, yeah. because like, if you hit stop on the tape machine and you still heard the reverb yeah, hanging over, right, that yeah. means he was adding the he, reverb. Yeah. And
0: (laughs) See, that's some weird 90s thing because I just did a thing, very different band, but I just did a thing about the first Weezer album and those guys, they never were an indie band, but they had some idea of vaguely trying to have indie credit in their first album and they refused to have any reverb on their first album. Some kind of 90s idea. There was was a lot of
2: weird stuff going on in the (laughs) 90s, right? I mean, you couldn't put on a show. Everything was too flamboyant and everybody was very grunge damaged, you know?
0: It also meant that big guitars were meant to take up a lot of space on the record, not leaving a lot of room for groove and a louder bass kind of thing. And that was another idea you had to get past, I think.
2: Yeah. And our sites were, you know, what we knew was we got into this to play shows with our friends in bars in Austin. And it was very, very small places, but it was the scene and that was everything. You know, that was my friends, the Teen Titans and the Wannabes and Sincola. That was kind of everything I wanted to do, was just get up on stage and be on stage on the same gig with those guys. We didn't really have our sights set higher, you know?
0: Right, it's almost like you had to sit down and think about specifically, what is this band gonna be, really? As opposed to just part of a scene.
2: Which we eventually started thinking about once we realized we're gonna be making records, you know?
0: Yeah, exactly. So I wanna take a moment and talk about Vivid Seats. Staying at home is great, but eventually you just gotta get out of the house. Whether you go out to see your favorite band or go cheer on your favorite team in person, you gotta get out of the house, you gotta have a night out. And with Vivid Seats, you can attend the concert of your choice, the sports event of your choice, whatever event you're looking for at a great price. Vivid Seats is the top source for tickets for all the live events you might want to go to. On their site, you can sort by price or look for seats in the section and row of your choice. You can pick the seat you want. To make things even better, Vivid Seats is giving listeners an exclusive promo code for new customers to receive 10% off your first ticket order to save even more money. Just go to the App Store or Google Play and download the Vivid Seats app. First-time customers can use promo code Rolling Stone. that's R-O-L-L-I-N-G-S-T-O-N-E, for 10% off your first Vivid Seats order. Every purchase is backed by a 100% buyer guarantee. From the biggest concerts and games to the hottest theater and more, Vivid Seats has it all. Download the app and enter promo code Rolling Stone for 10% off your first order on Vivid Seats. Make a memory that lasts a lifetime and let Vivid Seats help you get to your favorite live event. I wanted to talk a little bit about the new song, which, again, on a consistency level, I was thinking about what new songs for Greatest Hits kind of stand up, and I was thinking about uh, Mary Jane's uh, Last Dance is an example of a That's really a good, good Greatest Hits song. Hard to think of a ton. There's a few of like the bonus track, right. of the Greatest Hits. But this one stood up, and I think it's based on the skeleton of some old song. You're right. Yeah. 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 Were there a few candidates? Because you don't want to stick a, a shitty song yeah. <laughs> at the end of the Greatest Hits. was were a pretty good new song. We had,
2: it, we had three candidates, really, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we recorded three songs. With the idea that that's a lot to ask for. We got to record a song that's going to stand up next to the best of the last nine albums. So we thought our chances might be better if we recorded three. Yeah, and it's just this is the one that seemed to fit the best at the end of the record.
0: Were those sessions separate from the new album sessions or was it was it somehow connected? Did you call some stuff that's intended for the new album?
2: Yeah, it was all kind of the same process. It was when we started recording the album and then figured out that's the one that works the best. We mixed it, and then we just kept recording more new songs for the new album.
0: A number of the songs on the Hits album are recorded with uh, Mike McCarthy, your right. former producer, who made some great stuff with you guys and also drove you guys insane. I remember you telling me. And I think some of that sonic perfectionism led to uh, Transference. Your 2010 album was kind of a reaction to that. Right. and so I mean, that's how bands work. You're always reacting to one thing yes. and reacting to the reaction to it. That's the way art works. But what was good about that process, and maybe you can tell people what that process was like, and what was bad about it that led you to kind of break away from it
2: for to transference. No, about uh, pro- well, the, the, the McCarthy the, yeah, process. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I remember saying this at the time. I liked working with Mike McCarthy because even though he could be a little, would you say, non diplomatic. In the way that he would give you negative feedback, at least we knew when something was good, we knew it was good because he's not going to bullshit us. He's going to tell us when it's bad. He's going to tell us when it's good. It's just that when he tells us it's bad, it's it might hurt a little bit. It, it was not sugarcoated. <laughs> give
0: us an example of negative feedback.
2: Uh, I got one. Okay, go ahead. Um,
3: We were recording Summon You, and I had this idea to do it like a P.J. Oh. Harvey song. <laughs> and these guys humored me. I could tell it probably wasn't going to go well but we started recording it like that and then mike would do this thing at some point just randomly he would just go this sucks yeah and that would be his way of being like i'm not doing this anymore yeah this is and i'm like Okay, well, you're right. It does suck. So let's do it the way that these guys wanted to do it. But
2: <laughs> Maybe um, not the way we would say it to each other now. Yeah, no, yeah. no. Uh, say, I, we well, even say, we tried this. Yeah, we know? wouldn't
3: even say it to each other back then. But right. Mike
2: would just always. Or over. what about the good stuff when he let you try a mix? You remember that? Oh one?
3: yeah, that was, no, so he, that's very visual, though. But we should tell that story. So that's he he
2: lets uh, Jim try to start a mix when we were m- like, yeah, in Jim, why don't you
3: just take a shot at this mix? Why don't you go do this? Jim you know?
2: spends quite a bit of time. Mm-hmm. I think maybe we went out of the room. He yeah, came back. yeah, exactly. Jim is back there. He's you know a mastermind. He's pulling up this fader, that fader. You know, we're doing it on an analog desk, so it's a real actual faders. Right. Yeah. He gets it all set up. I'm like, Mike, in,
3: I'm ready. Mike, don't like, why why you check polite. it out?
2: What do you think? He Mike listens to what like 30 seconds of it again, yeah. and then just grabs all the faders and pulls them all down
3: <laughs> with both forearms. With just both forearms, pulls, just pulls them, pulls them down, down like this, and didn't say a word to me, and then starts redoing the mix, <laughs> and I'm just standing behind him like crushed.
2: Yeah. You know? Where those faders were, where yeah. there was a lot of you know. Ins and outs, a yeah, lot of detail yeah. put into that. But we made a lot of really good records with Mike McCarthy. I, I want to work with him again at some point. I'm in good touch with him. He's a lovely guy in his way. Yeah, and um, he's a great engineer. Great and engineer, like gets great sound. We made you know we made amazing records with him. Yeah. So and it's weird because something was working there. You and know?
0: you're you're very detail oriented yourself, to say the least. There's a kind of multiplication factor happening there? I would right. imagine.
2: We we had something going for sure. It took a long time. He works a lot slower than a lot of producers. Should I say that? I mean, maybe he's working faster now. I'm i do not sure. Know. Yeah. <laughs> maybe we were just slow. Yeah.
3: I just remember when we got the master for the greatest hits, like everything hits at once. Just that, I was like... Which is one of his songs. Yeah. I'm like, great. This song is like sick and it holds up and everything and there's so much space, but everything is yeah. tough. I mean, that was one know? of the
2: first things we did with him. This yeah, in so... 2001, 2001 yeah. yeah. It's
3: pretty cool to hear that.
0: So, if you don't mind, let's go through some of the songs on the Greatest Hits album. We talked about a Turn Cameron. Let's talk about Do You, which is from
2: 2014. Okay. That's a song we recorded um... Started in L.A. Started in L.A. with
0: Joe uh, Ciccarelli.
2: Is that the only time we've ever recorded in L.A.? We recorded for a week at Sunset Sound. John Bryan. did. John Brian. did oh yeah, I guess, I guess that's that was true. Another time we yeah. did in L.A.
0: And Joe, I think you said, and I've heard this from other bands. He's kind of focused on. At least in theory, the radio and, and mm-hmm. commercial stuff. And then, mm-hmm. that must have been a different kind of uh, push for you guys. Yeah.
2: I mean, it was good, though. He had a lot of good ideas with form when we're arranging the songs. What's going to come after this? And What's going to come after this? And he actually made us, made me think about it. He was like, well, the, the song's good. It's great. But it just is like this it's flat. You don't, right. there's no peaks in it. Right. You need to have a peak. And I'd never really thought about that before. <laughs> Sometimes we naturally would have, that would happen, but it's not something that we, we I think it's pushed. something you
0: did almost all the time. You just
2: didn't have it yeah. as a
0: concrete thought right. in your head. That's interesting. But
2: now I think about that all the time. Yeah. The peak I think for Do You was the bit that happens right at the beginning of verse two. Yeah, and, the drop, right? and the, Yeah, um, I guess there's a drop, and right? The, yeah. Yeah. The you note know, it walks down back. I don't know. I like that song a lot. I love the ending of it. It's probably my favorite part where Alex plays this flute solo. It's not real flute. It's a keyboard but
1: Synthesized flute Yeah
2: it sounds like a flute It does It's just beautiful
1: For me I remember I, that So vividly doing that Yeah I just The, the landed, flute solo Yeah oh, Just yeah. landed and Came to the studio And you guys had been Working for like the day And it was like Later in the evening
3: mm-hmm. That's your best working
1: it's time
2: a, It's <laughs> yes. a scene change That part of the song You know It's a good trick For a single You know It's fun the, to do the, the, the single's going on One mode the whole time And then the end It's this flute solo That just kind of Calms everything down And everything kind of Fades into the sunset right
3: (laughs) right i remember for me when we recorded that song we spend like all day getting drum sounds getting everyone's doing individual sounds it can be like a really long day and then we're like okay let's start tracking and i remember doing a couple takes and then joe was like hey jim it it just doesn't sound like a record yet and i'm like listening to playback i'm like yeah you're right it doesn't so it put like a little fire in me and that take is almost i think it's a complete Drum take, he could recognize that I needed to step my game up. And I thought that was a good piece of feedback
2: what does that mean it doesn't sound like a record somehow we knew what i
3: knew exactly what he was talking Mm. about it just didn't have like that snap like that like excitement that you can get from the drums and i'm like yeah you're right dude
0: so it was better than this sucks as feedback (laughs) no it was good feedback yeah Yeah. (laughs) this sucks
3: and i just lined it up like a carpenter and i just like
0: drilled it (laughs) drilled it in Mm. yeah (laughs) (laughs) don't you ever i'm not sure everyone realizes that's a cover Which is very unusual in your catalog, and it's not even a—you know, obviously it's not like a cover of a famous song in the first place. How did that come to be?
2: So that's a song by the Natural History. Was a band from here in New York, and we toured with them. A number of times in the early 2000s and became good friends with them and so i was writing gimme fiction when max the main songwriter was writing his next record and so we would trade tapes just to hear what the other person's thinking about or is working on and he sent me a few songs and i liked i think i liked all of them but that was my favorite and i decided to put some percussion on it and some guitar ideas and sent it back to him and i was like that's the one. but two years later, that song still had never come out. They had trouble with the band. I think the drummer left and then huh. they had trouble. they recorded that record with Joe Chicarelli. yeah, oh that's right yeah. <laughs> and uh, they had trouble just finishing the record, maybe finding a label. And so when we were working on gaga ga gaga, ga ga ga, we needed another song as we always do. and I said, I know this one that's a hit. That nobody else knows. <laughs> and, uh,
3: Didn't you rewrite the verses though, or um, I feel like the lyrics? The lyrics are, are a
2: little different, but it's based on the demo. Oh, so the demo okay. was a lot more like. Then they turned in their uh, Joe Ciccarelli version, and they had rewritten the lyrics and stuff. And okay, but I just I went back I, and listened to that the other day. Yeah, you know? okay. So that's what the demo was like. I loved the demo, and. Uh, Yeah, so then, you know, I said to Max, is is it alright if we do this song? I think maybe legally they have the right to do it first, you know, to put it out first if it's their own song. That's some kind of weird rule and he was like yeah that's fine <laughs> so yeah, it it worked out
0: yeah i listened to their version and i was like that sounds like the cover <laughs> which, yeah which is unfortunate <laughs> it's unfortunate but that's just how it works now
2: everybody should hear their demo version it was pretty great
0: <laughs> hmm should be a bonus track
2: that'll be on the
3: 3 disc
0: yeah. take thing so inside out another song from 2014 and again audacious i mean like you front loaded with with new songs and and it works
3: Time's gone inside out.
0: First of all, the, the making of this song, and, and second of all, like how it won that spot at number four in your mind.
2: I heard this quote where Elvis Costello said something like, "Songs three and four are the ones that you really want everyone to hear." Huh? And <laughs> and I thought about that, and I think he's right. Yeah, huh. I think he's right too. Mm-hmm. Because you start off with something that is good, but everybody's excited to hear that first song. Yeah, you know. <laughs> and then number three or four is always man, that's kind of like the heart and soul of the record. So I don't know. Inside Out is is one of the most my favorite things we've done, and uh, has a certain mood to it. That's uh, I don't think we've gone to in any other song, and I just wanted to feature it. But what was the other part of the question?
0: How the song came together. How it came. Way.
2: It was a piano vocal song, just a simple piano vocal song that at some point we were working on they want my soul and i finally finished it but it was just this you know me and a piano kind of like goodnight laura or yeah. whatever a, you know a stripped down neil young song or something right and i realized we just don't need that kind of song on this record it's not where we want to go and so we all got together in austin and we listened to some dr dre and then we had this new new idea this new idea yeah alex came up with this harp sound on his keyboard and
1: uh you were playing bass yeah and we just kind of jammed on it for a while so we mm-hmm. started feeling like it was glued up.
2: Yeah, it, it. Yeah, it was a meeting of the minds between us and Dr. Dre, and then suddenly we had a way to do it that was interesting instead of just a singer songwriter kind of thing.
0: And the way we get by, two thousand two. Amazing groove on that song. How much of the groove was built into the writing of it? How much of it came, or was it a similar thing where you had a different arrangement and it was added on later?
2: The piano was the same. Yeah. Piano was the same part on the demo. And uh, I think we just started that one out just recording the piano, and then you recorded drums. I think so, yeah. We didn't have an idea for the drums. I think so, yeah. That was the way we were doing things on that record, because I think we recorded it in three actual weeks of recording right your tape machine went down <laughs> which made me crazy yeah because <laughs> we have our producer our big name producer mike mccarthy i say that with a little bit of just but he had other things he needed to do he was working on trailer dead and so we only had him for a limited amount of time and during this limited amount of time jim's tape machine goes down and so i was freaking out but anyway we yeah recorded it first and then came up with the groove. yeah you know piano first
0: what were your demos like? Were they like four track? Or, yeah, yeah, four
2: track cassette demos. And I still do it that way sometimes. With the
0: drum machine or just... Would you, uh, would, sometimes would you drum machine.
2: Down- I think that around that era I was just doing like a click. You know, like just a kick by itself or a stick click just so I would have it in time.
0: Are they interesting enough to merit a Pete Townsend scoop-type release, or are they really just for your ears only, your old demos?
2: We've put a lot of them out on, you know, when we do deluxe versions. I've heard some here and there. Yeah, we did the deluxe version of Gimme Fiction and put out a ton of demos with that. Picture yourself in a living room
0: I was with someone who was not a hardcore music fan and uh, The Underdog came on and they were like, and they're like, I love this song. I I never, they're like, is this Billy Joel? (laughs) 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 And I was thinking about that. It's probably not what you were ever going for, but it's kind of a compliment, I think, to that particular song.
2: Yeah, he's done some good stuff. He's had some hits.
0: What it underscored to me is that at your poppiest, you made songs that in perhaps under slightly different circumstances would be enormous like top 10 Mm-hmm. Hits, you mm-hmm. know, whereas now they're hits in their own different way right but it's just a fluke of whatever the business and timing and yeah. and, and perhaps even your own goals. That song in particular, that's a super commercial rock solid genuine hit under any circumstances. I don't know if it felt like anything like that. When yeah, I was gonna, it. about
2: to say, funny, we had no idea when we were recording it. We almost left it off the record. Why? The rest of the record was more like slightly dubby, reverb heavy, right. lots of effects and the rest of the record was recorded by Mike. Underdog is the one recorded by John Bryan. Right? It yeah. was the first song we ever recorded, not on tape. You can tell the difference.
0: <laughs> <laughs> first the reverb, now this. You're yeah, yeah, all your yeah.
2: So maybe the three re- those reasons combined, we were just like, eh, I don't know if we need it on there. I guess we just wanted the album to not be that short. And so we put it on number seven, not the heart and soul of the record, (laughs) number seven. You said
0: something funny about John Bryan, which is that we weren't sure that you needed to work with him because he was like an LA guy who loved the Beatles (laughs) and you loved the Beatles enough. You didn't need any more Beatles love kind of thing. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah, that's true. I was already obsessed with the Beatles. Why do I need that? (laughs) But yeah, he brought a lot to that recording. You know, he played the bass on that. He played that Barry guitar. Those two things kind of make it.
0: What is the kind of core of his ability?
2: John Bryan? Yeah. I mean, he, he, so many abilities.
0: Yeah. I think of him as an arranger primarily, but I could be wrong.
2: He can play anything. Yeah. I'm not sure if I've ever been around a musician like that. Yeah. Maybe the closest thing to a Prince-like musician that Mm. I've been around personally. He
3: can play anything, but also he doesn't hold those parts dear. So like, if we were like, I don't know if that's really working, he's like, okay, cool. How about this? Yeah. You right. know, like he would move on fast. He would just come up with something else. It
2: wasn't precious.
3: Yeah. Really exciting to work with.
2: Yeah. A lot of fun to work with.
0: Hot Thoughts, the newest old song on the record, then the brand new song from 2017. That was a strong album from two years ago. How'd you pick that one track from, that, from your most recent album? Because it's harder to get perspective on an album you just mm-hmm. put out.
2: You're right. I guess just because it was the biggest hit, right? That's from that record, from that album, yeah. <laughs> that's the one that seems the most like a single to me. Again, I don't really know how you define that. It's but
0: harder and harder to gauge. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you literally look like it had the most streams, like that kind of thing?
2: I think it does have the most streams. I think it does. Yeah, the most streams from that album. Yeah. yeah. Yes. But that's often what happens when it is the first song that came out. It was the first single that came out. Anyway, yeah, it just seemed like the most like a single to me. Yeah.
0: Rent I pay another one from 2014. do you have any members
1: of that one? Yeah, I remember being super surprised hearing it because we had been working at Fridman's up in upstate New York for a while, and there's two studios kind of there. That's Dave Fridman, right? Yeah, yeah. Dave Fridman. Yeah. There's kind of two studios there, and we had been, I don't know if we were like mixing stuff or working on other stuff in the main studio, and Brit had been working on vocals mostly in the second studio. So I didn't really know he was working on this song, and all of a sudden he came in with Rent I Pay, and I was thinking, "Well, when did this happen? I had no idea you were working on it." Yeah, there. back in the back room. Yeah. yeah. And it sounded awesome already. Yeah. So, I was super excited.
0: So you just kind of wrote it from scratch in a back room of the studio? Mm-hmm. We had played
1: it maybe in a different way Yeah, it, was, it
2: existed as a as a waltz that we worked on many, many months before.
1: I do remember seeing you kind of like shuffling fast, like between the two studios while that was happening. Like you Uh were excited about it too, as you were doing it. Uh
2: Yeah. I knew something good was going on. We tried it as a waltz many months before. And then I think somehow we quickly ended up that devolved into some session where we were playing one man's ceiling is another man's floor by Paul Simon and then we just forgot it entirely because it just that didn't sound so good yeah I totally it was like that. we were trying to it was almost like a bluesy kind of thing which we just weren't really nailing
0: is that something that happens often that a cover is attempted
2: sometimes it's fun it can get you in the right spirits with that one we didn't do it so good you know <laughs> but uh if i'm trying to switch modes say i've been you know haven't been working on music all day i've been doing business stuff or whatever uh, and it's time to start working on music. That often is a good trick. Just play some cover you really like, two or three of them, and then all of a sudden you find the spirit.
0: For some reason, I would have guessed Paul Simon. What other kind of stuff, what would you start
2: playing? Beatles song or uh, you know, anything that I just heard on the radio that I thought was good and worth checking out.
0: You got your cherry bomb, another really strong song from a really strong album. And kind of a classic rock song in a way. Could be a classic rock song. What do you remember about actually writing and recording that?
2: I know we've tried it a bunch of different ways. We recorded it with John Bryan and we didn't like it. Right. It was more like the space rock version. And then I came up with some piano version that was a little better, but Mike didn't like it. Oh, right. And then I went and did a writing trip out in the coast of Oregon by myself for a week and listen to the best of the Supremes as I was driving out there. And I was like, "That's there's got to be something there. So Mm. kind of made it more of that kind of groove.
0: The writing trip, have you attempted that often?
2: Uh Uh-huh, yeah.
0: Little retreats? Yeah. So what do you do? You're by yourself and you're with...
2: Now Alex will come sometimes, but yeah, usually I would go by myself and just cut off communication and just do music the entire day I'm awake, basically.
0: So what would you bring, like just enough to demo, like a guitar? Yeah, bring a
2: guitar, a keyboard... Some a tambourine, you know, maybe a drum machine. Yeah, and just get locked up and focused.
0: That's sort of like uh, you know checking into the Brill Building office or something, and, right. and just having the day. Yeah. Does it always work, or do you sometimes hit a wall that week and just come away with nothing?
2: Uh, I can remember one time I hit a wall. Yeah. Depends on where in the process you are. Early on in the album, that's sort when you of you don't like, have as much uh, to know, work with. It's, it's harder to just get started. Or just I remember that, that writing the trip. Like yeah. It was super Does it always
0: work, or do you sometimes hit a wall that?
2: Don't have as much to work with. It's, it's harder to just get started, and later on. Like I remember that writing trip. Got nothing. The super Actually, one of my favorite. Got nothing is actually one of my favorite.
0: One, of your, songs one songs of your most unabashedly, songs unabashedly right. uplifting. One of your most unabashedly uplifting. Yeah. Unabashedly Yeah. At least lyrically. Yeah. A rare lyrically. Yeah. <laughs> case uh, of, of rare <laughs> exhorting us upwards. A <laughs> rare case of you exhorting us upwards. And I remember talking about writing uh-huh. that one. Um, but uh, tell me if you remember where the sentiment came from. Tell me if you remember. I
2: started off with this little guitar ditty, and then when I came up with some lyrics for it. It was, I got nothing to lose, but ma You know, it was sort of the typical way you use the term, I got nothing to lose. Right. It was like kind of some bravado, right. Right? right? I can't remember what the rest of the line was, but when I came back to it a week later, it's like, eh, I can do better than that. Mm.
0: It, it came from the desire to subvert the cliche. Yeah, exactly. So, so you backed into being uplifting. I got right? nothing to yeah.
2: lose but darkness and shadows, yeah. yeah.
0: And how about recording it? I backed into it, you're right. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You forced yourself to be uplifting. Right. Any memories of actually recording that one or the arrangement or anything like that?
2: Mm, We recorded it first. It was
3: one of the few songs that we played live a lot, right? Is it? Yeah, and then we went- Before we recorded it? Yeah, and then so we went in with Nicholas at Rare Book Room, I think. Okay. And uh, did it, I think we did like guitars, bass, and drums together, I think. Yeah. That initial part went faster than a lot of the other songs. 'Cause we had been playing it live. Because we play it live, you know?
0: yeah. It's funny, I keep hearing while you're promoting this album, people saying that Transference was like not a favorite album of people. I really love that album. Mm. I don't know. And Same. even even you've kind of maybe downplayed it a little bit. How do you I understand
2: why a lot of people didn't like it who were really into the underdog. But yeah, I mean it's it's Alex's favorite.
0: Yeah.
1: I think if you're like a music fan, like you love music, you're gonna love that record. I just think there's something about it, it has this quality that's just kinda such a good snapshot of like what was happening at that moment sonically the whole thing it's so cool
0: yeah I agree that's one of those things it's always weird when you're not aware what the consensus is and then you find out the consensus you're like "That I do not agree with that consensus but uh, jumping back because the album jumps around like that all the way back to 2001 everything hits at once and again this is Spoon redefining itself at that point.
2: For everything it's at once? Yeah. Well, on yeah. that
0: album, yeah. Girls can tell.
2: When that one came out, I did know that it was the best thing we'd done, and it was definitely different from what we'd done before. And the hard part about it was we knew it was the best thing we'd done, but we couldn't find anybody to put it out for a long time. Right,
0: it languished in limbo for like a yeah. really long time. Yeah. Until- we did a
2: first version of the record in 99 and tried to get anyone to bite, and nobody liked it. The only person that liked it was Mike McCarthy and Gerard Cosloy from Matador yeah, so we couldn't get anybody to, to that wanted to put it out. Gerard wasn't really biting. He liked it, but we had already worked with Matador and we had left Matador. and so he ended up starting a record label and putting it out in Europe, some label called One Two X u.
0: huh. I think one of the other things that's unique about this record, and we talked about the lack of chronology is when you have a chronological greatest hits record, you get to see the evolution and development of the band. and you, Again, like deliberately kind of went against that. Instead, what you see is a band that's done a lot of different things, but is incredibly consistent, both in quality and with a lot of varying sonics, but it does fit together, which is interesting. I don't know if you were trying to make that point post the first two albums. The catalog does lock together nicely if you listen to it kind of all in a row.
2: Right. You put it on random.
0: Exactly. Yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah. We weren't specifically trying to make that point. Yeah, I think it hangs up like that. It holds together.
0: Did you experiment with a chronological thing? Because it is very unusual. What you yeah.
2: Do. Well, the three-disc version was chronological. Right. Yeah. Right. It had rarities and all that stuff. I don't really want to go into how we made the sausage, but it was. It just wasn't. It wasn't going to work that way. Mm. It just wasn't going to work that way.
0: <laughs> you just didn't like the album that
2: way. Then when we would start off the record with everything hits at once, right? It wasn't a good flow that way. Yeah.
0: It is interesting we touched upon it, just this idea of making songs that in another universe would be like Justin Timberlake in the 2000s level hits, and yet that's not exactly the career you've had. I've discussed this with other people. It's like, in some ways, it might be better that you never had like a top 10 hit on a major label because then that defines you, and then you're always kind of either run away from it or everything else is a disappointment. And so, I don't know if this is the kind of thing you've thought about, like the more steady career that you've had is a superior way of going well the one
2: thing this. i thought about is that when we started once girls can tell came out that was the first time that it felt like the wheels weren't falling off when we put out a record felt like things were kind of happening it was good people were coming to see us and from every record on it just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger each one was a, a little step and we'd get to do this thing that was different and so all those things we appreciated along the way oh this time we're actually getting to headline shows this time we're actually selling out the Bowery Ballroom. Now we're selling out Ready Seated Music Hall. So each step was appreciated and it just, I don't know, it felt like a triumph (laughs) instead of, uh, I do know, you know, there's some bands that come out straight out of the gate and they're huge and the next record doesn't do as well and it's a, they don't know what to do with themselves. It may not be the worst problem in the world to have, but yeah, for us it, it worked well. We did appreciate it along the way.
0: So the thing you keep saying about the album that you're recording is that it has a rock and roll vibe. And then I think in one interview you said we keep saying it has a rock and roll vibe, but I'm not sure what that means. So, <laughs> what is the deal with this? And new then album? we start, and
2: then it started sounding kind of dubby the last time we worked on it. Yeah. Huh. So I don't know what's going to happen. But what is a rock and roll vibe? I guess the last record was pretty keyboard heavy. We still thought that was a rock record in a way, right? But.
0: This is going to probably be more guitar-heavy.
2: Yeah, guitar-heavy, maybe less finicky, you know, less less particular. Huh.
0: I think you're always saying that, though.
2: Oh, really? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And it never comes true?
0: I think there's some idea in your head that you're trying to get away from your own finickiness and, and perfectionism. Right. And that it never quite lands there. Well, or okay. or, or...
2: Something to strive for.
0: Alternatively, <laughs> it's an ongoing process of being less finicky. I don't right. know.
2: In a way, Transference was... <laughs> and that was the last time you and I really talked. I mean, that was a less finicky record than Ga 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 for sure. It, was, it had some ugly bits to it. And we had specifically left on the parts that were accidents and...
0: What I would say is that you then progressively made a return to finickiness in uh-huh. the following okay. two records. Right. <laughs> Not well, that was... I love the finickiness. So yeah, it's, yeah, I think, yeah. You know, I think actually this particular record, the Greatest Hits record, is kind of a tribute for the most part to that side of you.
2: Right, yeah. We could do a whole other compilation that was the, what would you call it? The Dirty Hits. The Dirty <laughs> Hits. Someone suggested we put out a rock Greatest Hits. I was like, well, there's some rock in there Yeah. <laughs> that, that everybody's got their own opinion on what should be on this.
0: One thing that you did anticipate... Pretty early was that very thing, which is that rock as rock, like just sort of rocking out as hard as you could, was kind of hit a dead end by the end of the nineties. Mm-hmm. That it had to go to groove, it had to go back to to melody and poppiness, right? Because corn was kind of the, if you just do that, you end up at corn, or you end up with just the generic sort of stuff that was on alt rock radio. Yeah, and so that was kind of a major and beneficial revelation you had, and I think maybe you helped other people. Move away from just like thudding rock and into something more groovy and poppy.
2: Yeah, I just realized that a lot of these songs are written on guitar, and then the formula was then you distort the guitar and it's a rhythm guitar distorted that takes up a huge chunk of the the space in a track, and then that's just like the sound you know, you take that away, and then you got bass and drums, and you're stripped down, and you can just kind of start in this new world.
0: As we uh, hit the end of the show here, is Spoon just gonna keep going is the idea I think forever that, yes yeah.
2: is that really the thought that just as long as you can I don't know I can tell you we're gonna make one more spoon record for sure we're halfway through it <laughs> almost halfway through it
3: what percentage are we at it's gonna be done in like two weeks right
2: no no, no. <laughs> I gotta write another song you know or, gotcha. or five
0: <laughs> mm. maybe there's a demo from another band yeah that they have floating around. that's
2: the shortcut <laughs>
0: it only happens once I think all right check out everything hits at once the best is Spoon thanks so much for being here yeah, yeah good, to you you. good to see you again nice you. to talk I'm to you this. so this has been today's Wrong Stunt Music now we'll be back next week here in Sirius XM's volume channel 106 in the meantime we are a podcast subscribe to us as a podcast download us as a podcast wherever you get your podcasts and as always thanks for listening we'll see you next week